Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a 20-minute high-intensity episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the themes of the day. Today in the show, I sit down with Mr. Jake Surrey. Jake's the head of digital in Canada for Fountain Partnership. Fountain's a global award-winning digital marketing agency based out of the UK. Jake and I talk about Brexit. We talk about the strategies behind the scenes that potentially led to the landslide recent victory of the Conservative Party in the UK. And more importantly, we peel back the curtain and go, what's really going on? What's happening on our social media feeds that may be influencing us, maybe farming out our cognitive biases, tapping into the well of our human psyches to potentially influence what we think and what we believe? Are our decisions actually our own or are they not? Join me for talking on Current and Critical with Jake and Surrey when we take that deep dive. I'm looking forward to have you on and just to share the audience a little bit. This was originally started as let's talk about the UK election. Has people, maybe give us a few words so everyone knows you're legitimately from from the UK. I am originally from London in the UK. Uh, I've been coming back and forth uh, to Canada since 2011. So kind of a hybrid now, um, but I am a born and bred Brit, in fact, a Cockney. Ah, right on. Uh, well, when I when the election happened and I find myself being much more um, engaged and aware of what's happening on the global stage right now, and I thought it was a pretty interesting landslide. And you and I have had a lot of conversations in the past about politics and about just the world that we live in. And as we started talking and realizing that, yeah, although the election is current and critical in the sense that it is, a, I think, a real reflection around the polarization and the big swings and the drastic moves we see in our world today. But then you brought up a really interesting point, which I think almost not push that aside, but when we started thinking about the influence behind these big swings and what's going on and the fear and a little bit of the realities of potentially how easily we're influenced by digital media. So maybe give a people, give, give the people, give the audience a little bit about your background, <laughs> what makes you, what gives you the qualities to talk about this, and then let's get into the world of uh, digital influence. Mm. Sure. So I, I work in digital marketing and have done for a number of years. I have always been a pretty heavy social media user. Um, I'm also pretty fascinated in po- by politics. So, you know, I'm a pretty advanced user. I, I run a lot of ads on Facebook, Instagram, Google, all of these platforms. So I'm very aware of what can be done um, to target people, which is pretty incredible. I mean, you know, from a marketing perspective, it's really, really useful. Uh, it can be a little bit scary when you look at that in terms of how it's affecting our political discourse, in my opinion. Like so many things, with great power comes to, to I think it's a Spider-Man quote, with great power <laughs> comes great responsibility. Yeah. But the reality is of left unchecked, unfortunately, some things will get abused and it is an incredibly powerful tool. And as you sit there with your phone in your hand and I sit there with my phone, just, mere, just, just out of arm's reach, for good reason <laughs> this ability to influence us is held in the palm of our hands and if you go back to the early days of the printing press and it's been around forever the ability to influence and if it's in writing it must be I must believe it and it to influence popular opinion we just now we can do it at scale and with algorithms that allow us to do it so much more effectively so from your perspective what type of role did this play and we'll talk about the UK election because it's, it's fresh in our minds sure what do you what's your optics on that so I mean, I think going back to the printing press, the thing about that is, you know, you can you can dole out a bun- bunch of pamphlets, right? Um, what you can do on social media is you have the virality and the participatory nature of it. So you're not just having a pamphlet, you're having a pamphlet, let's say that's a Facebook post or a Facebook ad with 20 people commenting and 30 people sharing it. And so it, it means that it's it's getting shared around everywhere, you know, and, and, and so it can spread like wildfire. Um, let's be honest, like, you know, 
Political campaigning is essentially a marketing campaign and an advertising campaign, yes. branding campaign. If you boil it down, we, we kind of maybe put it in a different category, but like, it's called camp. We call them marketing campaigns. It's called campaigning. It, 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 it's, it is what it is. Exactly. And, you know, there's, you know, and lying in politics is not a new thing. Like, I mean, this has been it's almost going ex- back. It's, al- it's almost expected in pseudo, like, uh, like oh. We look, we look the other way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, as, as a Brit who, you know, I, I, I never went to America until my 20s, but, you know, we always sort of watch the US political campaigns and it's basically like a TV show. Whereas, you know, we kind of like to think, I mean, it's becoming less so now, but we kind of like to think our politics is much more serious and uh, erudite. Right? But, yes. um, and it's, but, you know, like looking at the way these campaigns are managed, it is, it is a marketing campaign. And so I think what social media is doing is, it's enabling the proliferation of the, that sort of manipulation of truth at a mass scale. And rather than, you know, like you've always been able to do a PR campaign around politics, but now what you can do is change your message very, very slightly to whatever audience you're looking to target. And often, as we know, you know, both in the US, I think probably less so in Canada at the moment, um, and in the UK, it's often actually only a very small number of voters who are the critical ones that you need to reach. Right. And if you can therefore identify those and feed whatever argument or whatever messaging you want to feed to those guys to try and persuade them. You know, what, what you can do is if you can identify, um, you know, in, in your strategy, who it is that you need to target, right. um, and then and then you can hit them with messaging and you can split test that messaging. You can't split test a print campaign, really. Very no, you're, you're, you're committed and you can pivot and maybe go and run another pamphlet that week, but it does not have the agility that you have with digital. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think it becomes really, really interesting. I mean, you know, some numbers that... I looked up. Uh, so Dominic Cummings is the strategist behind Brexit. He's he's, he's okay. Boris Johnson's lead strategist. I highly recommend if anybody's interested in sort of how Brexit came about. There's a really cool film that was produced by Channel Four, um, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, which is called Brexit: An Uncivil War, which is a portrayal of Dominic Cummings. And you know, regardless of what you think, I, I'm going to try and be as impartial as I can in my own political uh, views today. But he is he is a fantastic strategist, no matter what side of the political fence you sit on. Um, and that's it's, it's really really worth watching. Now, um, his quotes were that uh, 98% of like this is in the run up to Brexit rather than the recent okay. election, which was uh, what three years ago now, 2016. Yeah, that's right. uh, it was announced on my dad's 70th birthday. My dad is a pretty ardent Remainer, so he was. It was not his favorite birthday present. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it made an impact on him. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, well, yeah, he had a few drinks, so I think he was okay. But. Um, <laughs> But in, in, in the run-up, so Dominic Cummings said that he um, they served more than one billion ad impressions in the run-up to that election, and ninety-eight percent of their budget went on digital digital marketing. Right. If, if, if you go back to the old adage of "follow the money," that shows you where the power is. Yeah, exactly, and it shows you know what, why it was effective. Now, I was living in London, and uh, you know, I think the other thing to think about is sort of with with social media, like. Living in London, I was kind of in my little echo chamber, you know, right. London is very ve- vehemently Remain, and it's very vehemently sort of Labour or Lib Dem. Yes. Um, and all of us were just thinking, there's no chance that we're going to leave the EU. And everybody was flabbergasted out of my sort of group of peers. That's so you know. interesting. And, and the reason for that is social media. And that's because of how the algorithms work in terms right. of just... You got served up messages that already suited your biases. Yeah, exactly. Um, what I try and do these days, like I am still, you know, because I'm a digital marketer, I, as much as I kind of try not to use social media too much, I need to know what's going on. Uh, what I've tried to do is balance out, so you know, is is have as many different sort of commentators within my Facebook timeline as possible. So I would, you know, just to try and break 
the algorithm, if you see what I mean. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I follow everything from, you know, The Guardian on one side um, to Breitbart on the other side, not because I necessarily think that any of them are unbiased media sources, but because it's more interesting for me. So to you've curated your own feed to show to not maybe make the algorithm as easy to go oh he's left or he's right and then we will just feed him anything that supports his views which will inherently keep you on the platform for longer which is the ultimate outcome yes uh, they exactly. can serve you up more ads uh, fundamentally as as it being an app and when you talk about platforms are you speaking is this primarily facebook that you're kind of focusing on as yeah, the main pr- primarily i don't want to say culprit but perpetrator of this of this process yeah i, I absolutely i don't know if i think facebook is uh universally around the world well, apart from in China, perhaps, um, the biggest social media network. If you look at social media users, like of people that use social media, uh, 98% of those people have a Facebook or Instagram profile. I think with And just for everyone who doesn't know, that means Facebook and Instagram. Yes. When you refer to them and like, oh, no, I'm on Instagram, I'm not into Facebook. It's all part of the same ecosystem. Yes. So Facebook, Facebook own uh, Instagram. And the other one that they um, own is WhatsApp, which some people are unaware of that as well. Um, Yes. So... Yeah, I mean, I I personally use Instagram less than than I use Facebook, but I know Instagram has really really high usage amongst. I would be the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, um, I just yeah, it's a, you know, but each their own, right? Um, but Facebook is the most widely used uh, mm-hmm. social media channel by a country mile, like by by a huge amount, and. The way that Facebook works is it likes to put us in buckets because it wants to be more effective at serving us ads because that's where that's the reason it is one of the you know most quickly growing companies in the world in terms of revenue. Um, it sells ads. Senator, we serve ads. Um, and what they do is they put all of us, they, they, they model our behavior in terms of our, our Facebook usage. So you could either be a scroller, you're a clicker, you're a lurker, which means you join lots of groups, but you don't participate in them you're a commenter you're a buyer um and so what they want to do is you know for for me as an advertiser what i want to do is let's say you know i'm working on a fashion client i want to target ladies of a certain age who like certain brands now the facebook algorithm when i'm serving those ads will put ads in front of people that have shown that they buy stuff through facebook ads right and the interactive things so that's how the algorithm works it's you know their argument is that they are trying to make their content more relevant um, and that they, you know, a they want to be a good platform for advertising, but also for us, you know, rather than just having blanket ads served to us or that could be anything and highly irrelevant, we're getting more targeted content and ads served to us. Which it's I can it's see. almost falling on the line of that the myth of that panacea that eventually you'll only see the ads that matter to you when they matter. Yeah, and that sounds great as a consumer, but it very quickly goes, ooh, how could that be misused? <laughs> uh, yeah, and how how do they how 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 can they know that much about me, right? I mean, and especially with smart because, devices. Because you tell them everything. Well, so this is it. Um, like, and there, there's some interesting research done into this. Um, there, was, there was quite a lot of media uh, shouting about the fact that if you have liked 50 things on Facebook, then Facebook is very likely to answer a questionnaire about you. So it's about two-thirds likely to answer a questionnaire about you more accurately than your life partner. That's kind of weird. I mean, you know, it depends how well you get on with your life partner. Of course, but, but as a blanket statement, it definitely get, it stops you in your tracks for a second ago. Wait a minute, tell me that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you've liked 50 things on your Facebook profile, it's going to answer a questionnaire about you better than your friends, better than your wife or your husband will, which is pretty creepy. I mean, these the 
Facebook knows a huge amount about you, right? Like it's recording everything you do. And, you know, I've had my Facebook profile, I think, since 2005. That's 14 years of data of all the people that I'm friends with, every single comment I've made. I mean, every trip you've taken, everything you've liked, every article you've shared, oh. literally your preferences and your proclivities and even how even into how you're wanting to portray yourself to the world. Because social media isn't always accurate, but somewhere if you can sift through that, you can get to the root of what is this person's motivators. Absolutely. And so... The question for me, there's a few questions that arise from this. So yes, you know, these platforms are going to be used for political advertising and they are, you know, there's been a lot of discourse that's happened over the last few years, especially in the wake of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. As I think that, is that kind of the time when it kind of, you know, when it's, when something crests in media or crests in, in our, in our populace, the Cambridge Analytica story, I think made it, brought it home to the point of like, Hey, this is happening. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's the first time, you know, being a marketer, you're aware of it, mm-hmm. but then it's like, Whoa, glaringly used for evil over here. Like, and I think that was the one that for me was a little bit of the the I don't know the lightning rod in the in the <laughs> in the in the out in the middle of the field going hey hey there's something over here we need to pay attention to oh I mean it was it was quite amazing watching it unfold you know people had started to become aware of who's this Cambridge Analytica bunch you know um, and uh, where are they based out of uh, well where were they based out of um, yeah they were, were. they were based out of the UK like they yes. were they were based out of um, London although they had uh, obviously Chris Wiley working with them he's a famous Canadian there's actually some uh, some very interesting political data companies that uh, are Canadian it's, it's ah. kind of funny you, yeah you guys aren't always the good guys um. <laughs> <laughs> all right it's fair all right I'm, I'm gonna let you have that one I'm gonna let you have one but I think uh, you know, certainly with the Brexit campaign the Trump campaign uh, the Ted Cruz campaign candidacy you know they worked on all of these. And so it's quite interesting, you know, my, my question is, is how effective are these social media channels at changing people's political opinions? You know, it's, I think it's really the swing voters and, you know, going back to what right. we said before, it's identifying the people whose minds you can change. Mm. There's going to be a lot of people whose minds are already made up, like no, no matter how Well, that's also have. just good marketing. If you profile out your different personas and your different target audiences and you go, well, these are staunch opposition, mm-hmm. let's go to the fence sitters. Let's go talk to them because yes. they can be influenced. They're also open, typically. When I'm already entrenched on the left side or the right side, whatever, for the, for the sake of picking left or right, mm-hmm. the ones in the middle are where you have a chance of success or hopefully easier, mm-hmm. less cost, less points of contact. Exactly. And so... What Cambridge Analytica did was stole a bunch of data using, you know, an app that had been developed by a guy at Cambridge University, um, and that was that. That was an app where you basically filled in a questionnaire, shared it with your friends, and you know, they and, and essentially just gathered a whole bunch of data. Now, Facebook are meant to take care of that data. They're not necessarily the best because it's in their best interest to have more data on people that they can sell to advertisers that we can then use to to serve ads for our clients. Um, now. So, you know, that was a data breach. That was why uh, Zook ended up in front of the Senate, um, ultimately, and that was why Cambridge Analytica got disbanded. Um, and the, you know, you can watch the Channel 4 coverage about what these guys were saying. Um, uh, you know, Alexander Nix, you know, the, the CEO, um, obviously a very bright guy. Um, I think, personally, there's a little bit more style over substance. I, I, I think they overstated what they did. I don't think personally, that they were solely responsible for Brexit and solely responsible for Trump. I think there were wider socioeconomic factors which contributed to all of these things happening, right? Well, marketing arguably, you know, if you look at something we do with our clients, we look at what are the cultural trends and shifts that are happening Mm -hmm. and then how can we capitalize? Because to create a trend and create a cultural movement, that's incredibly time-consuming and expensive and almost sometimes impossible. But if you can get a sentiment or pull on a thread that's Mm -hmm. already out there and do it in a very influential, personalized way, there's opportunity to create some pretty 
drastic outcomes, oh, like some would say a Trump election or you know Brexit. I listened I recently to uh, I can't even where it was. I think it was on a it was a TED Talk uh, or NPR guy mm-hmm. Ross, and he talked about uh, this woman had done some research around Brexit and what had happened, and they went to a small community north of London. I forget even where it was, but they said if they looked and their argument was that you couldn't go back and actually find a record of what was how that community was influenced and the community voted almost 98% for to, to, to leave the mm-hmm. UK. And when they started interviewing people, it's like, well, it was all about all of the immigrants taking our jobs. But yet they went around and said, well, do you know anyone who that's happened to in this town? They're like, well, no, but we, we saw it on Facebook. We read an article. We read a story. And as she did, it was a very like very micro little, but she said, we went around town and we went to the pub and we went and talked to everybody and no one had could report of it happening to them or anyone they knew, but yet that was their main reason for voting for it. And it was like, wow, what was going on there to create this belief in this town that was actually not based on any reality in that town? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's the it's the uh, immigrant paradox because what yes. they do is they simultaneously sit on the sofa while taking your jobs, right? Um, you can't really do both at the same time. They're not <laughs> claiming benefits and taking your jobs. And, and I think, I mean, you know, just... But it depends which, which feed you're taking or, or which one's going to resonate with you. Yeah, I mean, and anecdotally, in my view, you know, there's a wider... Um, opposition to immigration uh the less exposure to immigrants you've had i mean i'm an immigrant in this country i think i you know I, I, I definitely contribute to the economy at some state but um you know also you know another anecdote when um when my son was born in the uk um it was a little bit of a complicated delivery there were probably sort of eight or nine people in the room there was there was one brit and that was me Right. Um, you know, like, so you know, I have, I do have my views on that kind of thing. Obviously, you know, uh, I think what you said is powerful, and just as humans in general, the less we're exposed to something, the less we understand it. The more we have, we're easily swayed to fear it. Like that's that's yes. a whole other path to, conver- to, to conversation. But mm-hmm. you know, the, the the wars are fought more effectively when we can dehumanize the enemy, oh, uh, and, and that strings through all kinds of levels of of. And if you can grab onto that thread with a feed or a t- or a story or some type of a, a byline that mm-hmm. supports that. And I'm already bent that way. Well, I'm just getting validation now, confirmation bias. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the um, I can't remember the guy's name. The COO of Cambridge Analytica. He was also portrayed on the Channel Four, you know, expose that was done of those guys. And uh, he said, uh, "Plumbing the well of the human psyche and trying to drag up." Oh, that's but, a great. <laughs> oh yeah, like, they were smart guys. I mean, you know, as I say, I think. Well, this isn't the realm of unintelligent people. No, no. Like I mean, we're playing a big game here, and this then there's really smart people using very powerful tools indeed, with so. the computing power that we have today, and all this new technology again can be used for good and can be used for personal gain. If you just want to call it that, don't even call it evil. That's that's yeah. too that's too easy. Mm. Agreed. And so you know, one of the things that's quite uh, I think is becoming obvious. Like I do need to applaud Twitter. They have entirely banned political advertising yes, on their I, platform, I um, and it's quite a big revenue driver, right? Like you know, the, these companies. You know, if you look at one as a very news-based feed. Oh yeah, it's, it would. It almost feels yeah. It's interesting when you say that because you look at the, where they've. I think really seen some growth. There's where it's 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 kind of lives to yes. take the politics out of that was a big gap. Oh, agreed. And you know, Google hmm. have uh, also restricted a lot of targeting in terms of you know you can target still by geography and gender and stuff, but. More, it's, you know, it's more broad, right? Yeah, like you really, you can't, you know, if I'm if I'm advertising, you know, doing product marketing, I can actually target it in a very nuanced fashion. Um, I, um, but how, you know, you know, on Google specifically, on all of these platforms, there is there's a hell of a lot of data that you know obviously can be leveraged. But Google have done the right thing, in my opinion. Now, what you know, Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, nope, we're not going to put any checking, we're not going to regulate our political advertising at all, which I think is, well, I don't know, it's probably good for his investors and good for his pockets, but uh, right. I'm not sure it's good for political discourse and you know the polarisation that we're seeing. 
But when you go back to the UK and what happened, it was a landslide. Oh, it was an absolute landslide. I mean, I think there's several reasons for that. You know, I, I do think that on one side, you you know, let's look at it from, you know, we're both marketers. On one side, you've got a very strong, clear message. We're going to get Brexit done. Absolutely. Vote us in. All of this uncertainty that you've experienced over the last three years will be finished and we're going to go and get it done. Versus you've got on the on the other side of the coin, a really, you know, a fantasy-led, frankly, manifesto. You know, I, I, I was back in London a few weeks ago. I met with a pretty senior economist who works. He's a Labour voter and he works for a big government department. He's a smart dude. And I asked him, so what do you think of the Labour manifesto? And he just laughed, right? I mean, it was it was fairy tale. And the other problem was, was that Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, did not have a strong stance. He was sort of, he yeah. never came out and said, I'm going to fight against it. He was like, I'm going to... You guys know. have had, you know, you guys, the UK has had three years of uncertainty. Yeah. And people just get frustrated. Sometimes you just want to like be blind, like get shit done. Like, oh, you, yeah, you know. of course. I mean, and uh, that's... Boris Johnson's an interesting character. He's very polarizing, I imagine. Oh, I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, he, he for me, he's he's kind of exemplary of the polarizing nature of, of politicians nowadays. I mean, you know, I don't think he's a trustworthy guy. I mean, so, you know, some of the interesting stats that, that we had were... <laughs> So let me be honest, I think that one of the reasons, if we're looking tactically, apart from sure, that strong yeah. messaging, that, um, that the Tories did win is they fought dirtier and they fought smarter. And I think, you know, if the left wing wants to come back in the UK, they're going to need to get their hands dirty. So there were, you know, there's some research done into the veracity of the messaging on a lot of the political acts. Now, it was a small data set, but over one four-day period, they found that Labour had 7% of their ads contained mistruths or misrepresentations of the truth or outright bollocks, um, 88% of ads served by conservative. Now, it is a small time. Yeah, and I think we can unpack that and what it d- define untruths and define how they of filtered course. that. But just if even they were using, like, again, <laughs> I use a broken scale, but as long as it's the same scale, it's consistent. Yeah. So if the same filter was used against both sets of ads and one was 7% and one was 80 plus percent, Okay, well, that's that's a pretty powerful. That's not. We're not a couple. We're not. We're not a small no, gap it's there. No, it's it's not a fifty-two forty-eight percent vote like the Brexit one. So, and they, and they did that at scale. And and mm. some of those 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 myths those those untruths were very tailored to the audience that was oh, receiving absolutely. them. And the that's the that's the scary part. Yeah. Um, or the, or or the reverse. That's the powerful part. And they also did some smart stuff. Like so, you know, in the UK, like in Canada, in the states, we have televised debates um, for the leaders in the run-up to elections. And obviously, we all know about fake news. Fake news isn't a new thing. So you now have a lot of services that will check facts. Like, they're, they, they, they're literal. The purpose of that organization is to check facts. So in the UK, we have full fact, which is really, really useful. If you're trying to unpack what's a lie and what's not, which it can be, you know, even for smart people, it can be really, really hard to figure out Absolutely. what is true and what's not because there's so much information. Um, full fact. So what the Conservatives did during one of the debates is actually they changed their Twitter handle to say Fat Check UK. Now, there's nothing illegal about that. And their argument was, well, we're, we're just checking the facts on what people say. No, what they're doing is obviously spreading their agenda and then misrepresenting themselves as they're definitely the truth. I mean, that was a clever thing to do. You that know, just sounds like really smart political campaign. That's exactly that's exactly what I think. They were also, you know, you can't run a lot of Google ads for politics, um, but they were doing things like using SEO to rank for key terms around Brexit. So what that means is they were getting... getting smart, smart. Yes, they would, like, this is what I mean. Like, So going back to the Brexit debate, going back to my dad's 70th birthday, so big party in, in London, lots of people turned up. And I was in a pretty bad mood. You know, I personally, I, I wanted to I voted to remain. I, you know, as I say, I don't want to become too partisan in this. Yeah, but you um, still have your own views and that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah so. and uh, so I went, to, I went to this party and I walked into, um, 
I walked into a room and I said, that was one of the worst campaigns I have seen run ever. It was awful. And, you know, I said it in a slightly more sweary fashion. I may have had a couple of beers by that point. And uh, somebody in the corner of the room piped up and said, yeah, I know, I was pretty key in running it. And I was like, wow, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to. But it's, it's really, really true. And the reason for this is on one side, you have Dominic Cummings, the, you know, frankly, a really, really good strategist with... AI, like they built their own software to target the advertising. On the other side of the coin, and you know, the, the girl that I was speaking to told me this, they had, a, you know, the campaign team was basically built of people trying to run Facebook ads, trying to run digital strategy, but they were picked on the basis of nepotism because they're an MP's son or daughter. They had no experience of the platform. So it's not easy, you know, it's not that anybody can do it. I mean, it's not brain surgery either, but that was the reason. That no, but could- there, is a, there is a set of core competencies and if you're in some, and, and if you're better at it and then you're just beginning, that's a, you, that's not a level playing field. Oh, exactly. And so, you know, there were, there were lots of reasons why it didn't happen. So that was kind of, I took a step back and, you know, looking at the recent election, I think, yes, you've got, you know, leadership issues, you've got wider socioeconomic issues, but from a pure campaign standpoint, I just think that the the Labour were naive in the way that they approached the election. That's interesting. Um, And do you think that also the ability to run these campaigns this way and the fact that the playing field is not level because you've got some some one group going all in on it, one group dabbling in it, just. I don't know, for a broad question, but these drastic swings, like it was a massive, like it was what, 389 seats versus like 100, like oh, it, it was, was just, it was, it was, it was a landslide. It, it completely. So there was all those issues you said, but then the amplification of being able to target this way and me and being a little, playing a little bit dirtier. Oh yeah. And uh, the, the one thing that I do think, you know, fair, as a, you know, going back to the point of Twitter and Google, fair play to them. Like, and I think it was the right decision. The one point I will make is, you know, when I'm running ads on, on, on Facebook, I have to, I can't just completely lie to my audience. I can't say, you know, uh, you know. Well, as if, marketers, we're actually, we're, we're heavily regulated in that oh, sense of, mis, of not to misrepresent and rightfully so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's, there's a, there is regulation around this and it's really, really important. And, you know, that, that is not the case for political ads. They barely check anything. You have to be verified to run political ads on the Facebook platform. Right. But after that, you can pretty much say what you want. And, you know, they're saying, and you need to be careful about this. Obviously, there's the whole thing of freedom of speech. You don't want to curtail, um, you don't want to curtail people, you know, somebody... Yeah, if you look at the other side of this coin of someone going, well, we're going to actually start filtering. Well, then who's filtering? Well, exactly. You know, whether it's the algorithm or a human and it gets complicated. It's a really complicated... It's a very gray area and it's evolving so fast. It's no wonder regulators aren't staying on top of it. No, and it's who who should regulate it. You know, should the platform self-regulate? I don't necessarily, you know... The robot overlords already know enough about us, frankly. Um, and companies, unfortunately, are not bipartisan. No. Companies do have agendas because they're run by, still run by humans. <laughs> and humans exactly. have beliefs and agendas and things that are going to either meet their personal uh, yeah. viewpoints of the world or better support their organizations through, whether it's tax, who knows what it is, immigration laws and yeah. uh, tons of things. Mm-hmm. Of course. And a guy that I really like to follow is Nick Thompson, who's the the chief editor at Wired, which is a really, if you're interested oh. in sort of social media and, you know, digital and sort of, the world of technology is one of the best publications out there. It's also a really cheap subscription. I think I paid ten bucks for my subscription this year. Um, <laughs> ten bucks for an annual subscription of Wired. Yeah. I didn't. Well, that, that's worth it just for the. You read one article, it's paid for itself. Oh yeah, like it's 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 fantastic value for money. Um, but he does a cool thing on LinkedIn where he says this is the most interesting thing in tech every day. 
um, which is really really yeah. cool. Um, it's worth it's worth checking right. out. It's, that's it's on worth, my, that's going to be new on my watch list. Oh me. yeah, like, I mean it's it's like a minute and thirty seconds. Like he's very good at sort of breaking down a complex issue. And so you know, for quite a long time, I was I I, I actually strongly thought, well, we should just ban all political advertising. Which you know, the thing is with political advertising as well, it, it, it also creates engagement as well as the freedom of speech. You know, there's a lot of young people who perhaps were more motivated to vote in the recent elections. They perhaps wouldn't have been had there been no ability to, to you know, to Absolutely. run ads or to try and gain engagement. In, in the yeah, it's interesting world. to look at all sides of the story. But what I do think is that the political ads should be held to the same standard as the commercial ads. You shouldn't just be able to outright lie. And they can do this for the commercial advertising, so why they're not doing it? And, you know, that's right. the change. And that was what Nick Thompson said, and he persuaded me. I mean, he's obviously a very smart dude. So that's kind of where I've got to with it is, you know, like, we do Let, need let's, to be let's keep it in this. play, but let's yeah. level the playing field in terms of misrepresentation. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we need to be careful about this. Like, we don't, you know, we don't want our political discourse to be defined by a Facebook algorithm, right? Or by a computer algorithm. And, you know, as I say, there's But unfortunately, when we take so much of our life direction from those platforms, how do you then, you know, I really liked your approach from the beginning of, and I think it's arguably, how do you become a more informed, I was listening to Yuval Harari uh, mm. the other day, uh, being interviewed by Russell Brandt, which is a whole other, <laughs> which, is a whole, which was a whole other story. Oh, yeah. But, you know, someone in the audience, they were talking to a bunch of students and they said, you know, how do you insulate yourself against these algorithms? Mm-hmm. And he's like, be as broad in your information intake be as broad as your in your perspectives as you can look at multiple sides of an issue so when you get presented with something you can have critical thinking and he said that's easy for you know he just did we did acknowledge that that was easy to sit there and prophesize but he goes it's our only defense against the algorithms that are going to know you better than you they do now and it's only going to amplify it behooves you to expose yourself to as many different feeds mm-hmm. for the as you can so when you get that information you can actually intelligently take it apart and that's easier said than done i entirely agree i i mean you know we, we're now getting to the stage where on social media if somebody expresses a right-wing opinion they're a homophobic racist fascist bigot and you know if you express a left-wing opinion um you're you know you're a cross-dressing snowflake or whatever right and uh, you know and <laughs> that but, is as silly as it is though you're absolutely right and you know I, it's I so extreme kept, yeah and you know like i've got i've got friends on both sides of the political coin i kind of miss the days you know i'm a philosophy student i graduated 15 years ago kind of miss the days when we just sat in the pub and debated this stuff and it didn't mean that i hated the person yes or i thought that they were you know an evil person because they disagreed with me they just had a different opinion. Um, and I'm, I'm concerned with the polarization. I think a lot of people are concerned yes. with the way that social media... It's a topic media... that's come up on the show before and someone yeah. said, you know, if you go far enough left and you go far enough right, they just bend around and bang into each other anyways. Oh, of course, right. And you've got this extreme, these extreme polarizing views that don't get anything accomplished. And I was like, hmm, it's a nice, it was a nice way to, uh, you know, I never had it put quite that way because the extremes, and you're right, there's no ability to just disagree without actually violently hating the other person it's, it seems a bit unrealistic <laughs> yeah it doesn't seem sustainable let's put it that let's put it that way mm-hmm. so from the realities your perspective as a as a digital marketer is it exactly what you recommended do we do we create those do we purposely curate a, a feed of things that maybe aren't our preference just so we can broaden we can keep ourselves insulated from it a bit I think that's an interesting way to go. I think, like, I mean, in in any scenario, I think reading as much as possible about the stuff that you're interested in or about... From multiple perspectives. Yeah, like, don't just, you know, you're just... You mentioned confirmation bias earlier on. I think that's that's really, really important. But I think that 
Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it has actually balanced things out, and I don't just get so I actually get so fewer political ads because I think the algorithm can't work me out. To be honest, like, so you know, I don't just I mean, you know, I have I have uh, a lot of pretty partisan friends back in the UK, so I definitely see some of the stuff they share, and then conversely, you know, I have I have some pretty partisan friends here, so it's Absolutely. kind of interesting to see what my you know different different peer groups uh, do. But actually, yeah, I'm, I'm getting you know, a lot less political ads served to me. So I think that's, that's interesting because, well, because if you're talking about pulling on the thread of opportunity, they, they can't figure, they can't figure you out. Yeah. Exactly. Which is a fun way to just play the game. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's one thing about participating in the system, but there's another thing with doing it. Like there's that sense. Once you take the red pill and you're aware of what's going on around you, you're like, ah, I think I can see the matrix over here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Kind of running me through the formula, yeah. which is so interesting and being deliberate about that. And I think around once a year and I'm due for it now, I'll go through my Instagram feed and almost wipe out mm-hmm. like a good third of what I'm following, half what I'm following. And like last year I did the Harvard Business Review, Inc., uh, Al Jazeera, BBC, Guardian. Like I went all over the place. And it's very interesting how the same story shows up from a very different perspective on the same day. Oh, yeah. You shared something earlier. I want to close on this. But you shared something about the way that the UK portrayed what happened with Don Cherry versus the way it was portrayed. BBC versus CBC. You shared with me last night. And of course, I didn't catch it because I didn't. And I thought that was really interesting of like – Again, we would all arguably think as Canadians, like, well, we, we know the story. What happened? He said, yeah. you know, you people. He said, come over here. You know, we all heard that story, but you heard a different story watching BBC. Yeah. Okay. So I was in Canada while this happened, and you know, like, and he's obviously a Canadian institution, and and fair play to him. And I think he does do a hell of a lot for veterans. And I don't think he's an outright racist guy, but what he said came across as pretty xenophobic. And you know, uh, my great grandfather fought for the Gurkhas, right? Like, I mean, right. you know, like he's. White guy, but he fought with it, you know. And there's a so you know, I, I thought that what he said was probably just a little bit wrong. Um, but that, that's my opinion. Well, well yeah, we'll, we'll set that aside. Yeah, yeah. But the way the story was presented yeah, exactly. in two different ways is what I found um, interesting. So the BBC took out the coming here piece, which actually was the critical bit of what Don Cherry said. Because if he had just said, You people need to be wearing poppies, I entirely agree with him, right? Like, I come from a South, yeah, because now all of a sudden it's his broad sweeping yeah. statement, but came here changes it mm-hmm. yeah exactly and that was the piece that the bbc missed in their coverage of it which i thought was quite... you were being very kind when you said missed mm-hmm. yeah like they, they they removed it and that was pretty machiavellian to me i mean there's another similar one that, um you know uh recently boris johnson you know it's remembrance day he laid his wreath upside down at the cenotaph now let's be honest if I, most politicians had done that they'd get pilloried by the press they'd get absolutely destroyed what the BBC actually did was took uh, footage of him doing it the right way round from two or three years ago, and they used that photo instead. They claimed it was an editorial error, but it wasn't. And oh, come these, on. I don't believe that yeah, for a second. Like, none of us do. And it's these subliminal little things that are happening in the media. You know, it would be really hard. As a normal British person, you wouldn't know the full story of what happened with Don Cherry. I just not. happened to notice it because I'm a Brit living over here. And it's that subliminal adjustment of the narrative that is pretty concerning. And so subtle. Me. Two words. Uh, yeah, exactly. But two words Two words change everything. Oh, it was, yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah, I was not particularly pre- pleased with the BBC. I, yeah, I, I, I'm, in general, I'm putting a little less credence uh along the BBC as a news channel. Well, you're, 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 recal- you're recalibrating based on personal observations. Exactly. But, you know, using that as a guidepost, uh, the biggest advice for all of us is look at everything with a discerning eye. And when you think you're being discerning, even look at look again. Yeah. Because it's it's constantly, we, we think we're so impervious, but we are so easily influenced. It's scary. Oh, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's really scary. But again, having discourse, sitting down with people like yourself, looking at different opinions, hanging out with people that actually don't just believe the same as you and create even deeper confirmation biases. I think that's a great way to be, uh, you know, a broader 
a better human anyways. But when you, when you open that feed on your phone, which we all do every day, just watch out what's getting fed to you because it just might be influencing the way you think about things. I entirely agree. Jake, thanks so much for your perspective. That was fun. I think we can have a part two of this one because I think people are going to be like, what? Tell me more about these, these algorithms and how it's actually <laughs> influencing me. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, mate. 